Hey there, I didn't hear you come in. Welcome to Mandatory Redistribution Party episode 47, Cheeky Pandos. Am I proud of this week's episode title? It doesn't matter. I will defend it with my entire body should the opportunity arise. This week we're doing some big picture discourse on the political reality made manifest by the pandemic, and later I go into detail about Britain's own history of testing chemical and biological agents on its own people during the Cold War. But first, here's a quick fact for you about labour time. Did you know that making this podcast is hard work? If you enjoy the podcast, we will grant you a unique opportunity to remunerate us for our time over on patreon.com slash mandatory redistribution party. Every dollar you can contribute helps further our goal of being adequately waged labourers for hundreds of anonymous boss listeners. You'll find the link in the episode description. But first, a perfectly innocent question about stealth. Yeah, any good at sneaking? Do we mean sneaking as just being undetected? Or yes. do we mean being invisible? Ooh, okay. Uh, I didn't expect that question. You can't, can't be... Thank you very much. Do you mean, inv- like, by... What do you mean by invisible? Do you mean... Because you, you've saying like, undetected... Yeah, I'll expand explain. on what I'm saying. Yeah. So, yeah. so, if I'm a spy, for instance, yeah. and I'm infiltrating a facility... Well, I could register to work in the munitions factory where I'm supposed to be doing my spying. Uh-huh. I'm not invisible. I'm not solid snake hidden behind a crate. Yeah. I'm perfectly visible, but I am undetected. I am sneaking, but I'm in plain sight. And I think that is like galaxy brain sneak. <laughs> visible sneaking. Okay, okay. So like infiltration, like like disguises and stuff, sort of hitman, hitman approach. Deep cover is the toppest sneak. Do you know what? I agree with that. I agree with that. Thanks so much. I was going to ask if like lockdown continued, but you really wanted something like a limited edition Easter egg. I know Easter's been, that makes them even rarer. So there's a limit, you know, there's a limited edition Easter egg in like the Londis. Yeah. It's like four the, miles away. In the safe. But there's like cops and drones and like pang banging neighbours who want to snitch on you. And those kind of individual wooden hurdles that you get in Olympic races. Yeah. 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 And they've all got a, a cone of vision. Yeah. I was like... And there's like a ghost there and there's like a kid playing with a tyre and I can't touch any of these because they take damage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Some enemies, if they see you, like if the kid sees you, instant fail. Yeah. Game over screen. And, uh, you know, the the colonel's going, John? Yeah. Some enemies, I just take chip damage and I just need to know how many times I've been hit by, say, the wolf or the stick. Yeah. (laughs) How far could I go without being seen by any... Humans or organisms? Yeah, in the city. And you can't just say, oh, I would start in the Pennines. And yeah, and just, yeah. So we will count humans. So it doesn't matter if like, unless it's a guard dog, unless it's a dog 
in employed sure. by the man. But that's a dog that is functioning as eyes for a human. Yeah, for pigeon clocks, yeah, irrelevant. What if it's a pigeon that's owned by a, like a villain? A surveillance pigeon. I don't see why that's not possible. Yeah, I, I mean, if that happened, that counts as an animal yeah. working for the Any man. Any animal that's an extension of human will. Yeah, but you wouldn't know, I, I guess, until you saw the game over screen. Like, you wouldn't know if a pigeon was the enemy. Well, I am kind of uniquely situated to fail because I live on a high street. Yes, yeah, this is what I'm saying. So, like, so you, I can't, you can't get anywhere. Well, you couldn't. You don't think you could get anywhere as soon as you're on that high street. You're doomed. Oh, l- legitimately, yeah, absolutely. We wouldn't go. What about going like sneaking across people's back gardens? I mean, I can't. There genuinely isn't like a sneaking route. There are like high. There are no back gardens. Like, businesses grappling either hook. side. Grappling hook. Oh right. Well, I need. To, I don't have one, so I need to go out. Like a grappling hook. Am I allowed out? to go out? Get a grappling hook while being visible and conspicuous, then come back Let's and then start, start off, the timer. You can start off, you can have a grappling hook. I really think that the nature of me using a grappling hook, even in the back garden, is going to attract a lot of attention because the back garden backs onto another back garden and they're always out there. So they yeah. will, they would, they'd hear the as I yeah. come up on the grappling hook and they'd be like, Is he on a grappling hook? I'll well, hear it. Powered. Powered grappling hook. I'll hear a commentary. Yeah, I'm not. What you want me to just to throw the kind wow. of spikes with a rope and then hoist myself over? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Well, I've no. Uh, where's my upper body strength that, going? I've just been sat zoom. in my house for a month. Yeah, but you haven't got. That's not. I'm not going to put that in your inventory. It's starting the, the zoom. That's an upgrade. You get that on the way back. I'm not like rappelling up the side of an Italian restaurant. How high is this Italian restaurant? It's a skyscraper Italian restaurant. Doesn't have to be a skyscraper to be hard to manually climb up. So the skyscrapers. <laughs> Obviously impossible. <laughs> that that shouldn't be, unless you are like an insane athlete. A skyscraper shouldn't be the upper bar of what is considered impossible with climbing. A normal single-story building you could grapple. Anyone could grapple. What, pull yourself up by a rope while just putting your feet on the brickwork? Yeah, I reckon. What? No, that's going to be really hard. I mean, one you could maybe do, but you'll be knackered. The idea that you've got to do multiple grapples to make it through the, okay, the back yeah, alleys. Okay, multi, multi-grapple. And let's not forget as well, if I'm hiding from the public street and I'm using the back gardens, everyone is indoors and they'll hear the footsteps going up their walls and they'll just look out their window. Oh, detected, game over. I've got to go back to my yeah, back garden. Fucked. No sneaking for Molly. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I'd get very far. I'm not very agile. But I think your original thing of getting a disguise, so like getting postman outfit or something, that's the only way. Oh, where are you you going? I'm going to deliver. I'm going to deliver. Yeah, but I'm actually going to steal the egg. I mean, just go whole hog and just go full mounted police officer. Go as a hog? As a pig. (laughs) (laughs) In the UK, as a mounted officer, you can sneak into someone's residential property. Without oh. question. Yeah, exactly. If a mounted police officer just clambers, the horse just clambers up your driveway, you can't stop it. Can't do yeah. If it comes into your block of flats, you can't do anything. You'll be thinking, who mm. let it in? Who buzzed, who buzzed this mounted yeah. policeman in? Why is this happening? You would question why it was happening. You would not question his right to be there. Yeah, you'd say, thanks for, for coming. How I- many sugars do you take? How many for the horse? <laughs> I appreciate your social distancing by being the height of a horse away from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that's it that's how you sneak you just need to have the right uniform i used to be like a delivery boy when i was a teenager and i'd always have this little um a little checklist thing you need them mm. to sign mm. but if you have one of those it just becomes a license to walk in any back room of any business you can go into the shopping centers and just go through the back tunnels yeah they just spot the form big time it's like the reflective jacket the reflective mm. jacket just gets you absolutely anywhere it was a key thing to take to festivals uh when i used to attend them just like if you needed to get through a big crowd Bang. 
yeah. reflective jacket. You can go anywhere you want. But it's not just that you get permission. You become invisible. Yes. You are now undetectable. Ironically, no one thinks to talk to you because you're busy. Ironically, the greatest disguise, a high visibility jacket. Yeah, and yet if you're in a business wearing some kind of camo, all the eyes of security are yeah. on you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> What's this it. person going to do? <laughs> this is trouble here. <laughs> yeah, the great visibility inversion of the 90s. <laughs> I was really curious to see what was going to pay off with regards to the, the messaging regarding there being three weeks lockdown. Mm. Because I know a lot of people were like, three weeks, I can do that. Yeah, And I know if the government were to have said, yeah, we're just going to lock down till September, soz, people would have gone bonkers. It's a double-edged sword because the lockdown for three weeks, I think a lot of people just got that message and that message alone. Yeah, And so the additional three weeks, already people are like, nah, fuck it. Just, just fuck it. We definitely hit nah, fuck it around here a week ago. So yeah. a week ago, I was out for my government mandated exercise and I was coming back. There was like parents, kid, toddler on like reins as if it's like a proper feral toddler that's going to nip you. And the toddler's like pulling forward going, Nana, Nana. And I'm like, mm-hmm. right, okay. Dad says, don't worry, we're going to Nana's now. Now let's unpack that. Ooh. Clearly, it, Nana's, if being referred to as Nana's, is a separate abode from the one mm. in which this family normally dwells. Further evidence, we're going to Nana's now. Well, we don't, you know, we're not going home. It's clearly here we have... I'm not going to... I'm not going to tell the cops. I'm not a snitch. But I don't think you should go to Nana's. I think you're going to... Hmm. You could kill Nana. Unless the toddler Absolutely is on Absolutely don't reins. have it in me to do anything in these scenarios. Just look and be like, I'll log that for when my Samuel Pepys diary about the pandemic comes out. I'll log that for my uh, own anxiety, yeah. It sent me, it was right as I was coming home, it sent me under a bit. But that was one drop in an ocean of it being super busy and people being everywhere. And it's weird because I'm I'm like, oh yeah, lockdown, lockdown, and in like the lockdown mindset. And then on my road, there's like three businesses and they're all mm-hmm. absolutely on it. There's a mattress warehouse that's going full tilt. There is a car body workshop, full tilt, and there's a Land Rover garage. People essentially need their Land Rovers. So I live on a high street, so I don't have a good reading on what like is going on in residential areas. Mm. But I can tell you that a cafe just a few doors down has reopened. But not only reopened, they've put signage out saying, we are open, and then put a massive union flag underneath that sign. Oh. And, and for a while, there was like social distancing queue, but now people are just milling around in the outside eating area. Oh. I know we have to pretend that the Union Jack is not a racist symbol, or we don't have to, but some people Why love do we doing have to that. Do that. We when don't did have that to do come that. in? People keep. When did, when did that come that? in? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, people suggest it's some sort of good thing. But like the Union, most people. If you if you fly in the Union Jack, you're a fucking bell end. I'll say it. Hmm. I don't care. Like anyone I know, anyone I've ever encountered who loves the Union Jack or puts the Union Jack out on things is either racist or a complete fucking moron. The only reason the union flag is seen with any level of acceptability is because there's a universal acknowledgement that it's not as racist as the St. George's flag. Yeah, but they're bloody working on it. Yeah, the butcher's apron. Um, So this is just stuff that, like, is right next to where I live. There's an estate agent that is clearly still operating, but they've just turned the lights off. There are just people coming in and out, which I'm sure are landlords. Um, (laughs) Yeah. 
there's renovations being done yeah. on another cafe. I don't know why that's a central... Maybe um, they're renovating it, Sean, so everyone's uh, six feet apart. Yeah, maybe they're renovating to be sort of a new test centre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my partner's having her roof fixed. That's suddenly become essential, even though... Builders in the house. What? So that was broken over winter, wasn't it? Yeah, it was broken during the winter storms. Rainwater coming into yeah. the house. Not essential Damn. to fix it then. No. Not essential then, but it's essential now on week four or five of, of a lockdown, lockdown yeah. when it is sunny. Oh, God. And of course, imagine like the banging that comes with roofing, but you yeah. can't leave. You're working from home. <laughs> <laughs> oh. There's something really unique to the British public. They definitely mimic the selfishness that has been like foisted upon them. Mm. And I know for a lot of people, they have to go back to work because they have to eat. And when you are suffering financially, you have to act in a selfish way. It's called self-preservation. Mm. But there is also just a massive sprawl of Middle England who are, haven't really got any of those excuses. And they are doing it out of, you know some kind of union flag-based sentiments. Yeah, we haven't yet had the sort of American big protests of like, we mm. want to go back to work, but actually by work you mean you want other people to go back to work so you can get the services that make your life easy. That principle is still ingrained. Although polling shows that people support the lockdown. Let's interrogate that a little bit more. If like you scratch the surface of that means, I support the lockdown for everyone else, but I should just be able to completely ignore the one-way system in Tesco. It's like media bias. You know that poll that came out that said people think journalists are untrustworthy? It's like, yes, yeah. because they would like them to be more racist. Well, you know I joined this Facebook Boris Johnson supporters group. Yeah, you took one for the team. 35,000 members. And they responded to the poll that people don't trust journalists by, by posting in their hundreds that they don't trust the poll. <laughs> really? <laughs> because, because it's being broadcast by journalists. So it came up on Sky News and it said, the British public don't trust Sky News. And underneath they're putting fake news and they're also putting sly news. Perfect. Sly news? <laughs> sly, sly news. Oh, that's good. Sly news. They've got a really interesting one, which is, like, they're all together. There's no yeah. reason for them necessarily to, like, wear a mask, but they still play a lot of these rhetorical games. You know, like, a lot of people who are just racist will never admit they're just racist and often won't even do it yeah. in public. They've yeah. they've had to, like, believe they're not racist, even though they do racist things. Yeah, yeah. And then they have to find proxies, like, getting angry at people for not wearing poppies or not singing God Save the Queen. Gotcha. Yeah. And so here, you'd expect people just to be like really open about it the way yeah. that landlords are in their closed group. Yeah. But they still just go around the houses, like on everything being, they use their own rhetorical lines that you'd expect them to use against adversaries just yeah. internally so that they're always just trying to justify that they just like Boris Johnson and they wish him well, but they have right. to find rhetorical lines to be like, oh, well, the death toll's not actually that bad. Corona's not that bad. Okay, it is that bad, but who could have done any better or who could have foreseen this? Okay, well, maybe they could have foreseen this, but the media confused them. So they're, they're always jumping position to any pro-conservative position, but like amongst themselves. It's yeah. so strange. Yeah. Well, it's I got in a discussion with someone somewhere on Facebook um, in the middle of the night, which is ill-advised. You know, they were, they were saying, oh, well, we can't blame the conservatives because the government isn't in charge of buying these things it's it's the nhs and it's the nhs procurement managers and it's like uh -huh. right well why are there these procurement managers and what are they doing well they exist in a market who create who put that market in the cons andrew lansley in 2011 so the retort to that was ah but like labor did this in 2000s and i was like yes i i also think that's bad do, do you Accept. Yeah, they did. That was fucked. So, do you do you accept? Are you saying then that marketization is bad? That's my favorite one. That like that illustrates the game that's underneath it all. Yeah. Because if someone goes, you know, Labour brought in a lot of these PFIs that fucked up the NHS. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not 
the Labour Party. <laughs> I'm, yeah, yeah. Anyone who opposes you isn't necessarily that other team. The fact there is just only that one other team is one of the reasons that everything's fucked at the moment. Yeah. And it shows that everyone is just playing, rooting for their favourite team. Mm. You know, politics is just this parallel world of differing tribes, mm. not anything to do with, like, materiality, even when we're during a pandemic, even when we're arguing about stats of the death toll. Yeah. Oh, you know um, HMS Nightingale, the massive... Yeah, yeah, hospital yeah, yeah. they built that the can't propaganda be hospital. There's a, because there's a nursing shortage. Yeah, but even as a propaganda hospital, it doesn't function because you can't take pictures of it w- operational because there's no nurses. Right? Yeah, it's um, Potemkin's village. Yeah, Are you familiar with that story? Is that apocryphal? You're the person to know. No, that. go on. Catherine the Great ruled with two iron fists: sex positivity and nepotism. She took many lovers and then placed them in positions of high power across the Russian Empire to transform them into sycophantic regional governors. One such piece of ass, Grigory Potemkin, was placed in charge of the annexation of Crimea. When she came to visit, he built portable facades of buildings and houses. Catherine II would be toured through these hollow streets, and after she slept, the construction would be rebuilt again further along for tomorrow's part of the tour. How accurate is this story? Um, it's disputed. It's probably not quite as prosaically neat as what I've just presented, but nor is it outright false. Sorry. That's history, baby. Yeah, so HMS Nightingale, they built it. It cannot be staffed because there's a nursing shortage. But the headline says there are no patients being admitted to HMS Nightingale. Mm. In the Boris Johnson supporters group, they are posting that link, not clicking on it, and congratulating the government because there are no new admissions of cases. Therefore, the coronavirus must be going down. Wow. That's not By just not incredible. even clicking through to the link of it, there are hundreds of comments going, see, coronavirus can't be that bad, otherwise they'd be sent to this hospital. That's incredible. You know, I had a friend, I think this was after, like, the Ed Miliband failed campaign, mm. who was, like, just so despondent with politics and just asked, like, what would it take for there to be, instead of parliamentary politics, some kind of just popular overthrow or uprising? Mm. And, you know, the answer to that is, like, mass starvation and... and death and maybe murdering of civilians and so you'd imagine with that kind of historical context Mm. that you'd be seeing something close to that given that the government is like just let let them eat caking people to death yeah but i really think that if the british public had existed in russia under Tsar nicholas ii during times where he open fired on the public (laughs) his ratings would have gone up yeah if it was the british they'd be like strongly i love it with the currently existing british press we'd be using ex-army officers walking around their houses to fundraise to build a new winter palace yeah 100 percent. so nicholas there was like a bad massacre as soon as he got into power and he was known as nicholas the bloody mm-hmm. in the in the press but he was still pretty popular he was called by nicholas the bloody by his opponents but he was still pretty popular until bloody sunday like peasants had like little shrines to him because the orthodox church was like an arm of the state and taught the divine right, it kind of, there was a bit of a almost, almost elevating Nicholas ah. to a god as well. I think we've, I mean, I say we're not too far away from that. And we've even got no. like a Rasputin figure on the go here too. Oh yeah, I mean, I've said that before. It's not his fault. It's Rasputin's been telling him he was the one who sat on the science advisory meeting. <laughs> 
If Rasputin wasn't here, we'd be on the straight and narrow. Yeah, no structural or class analysis and just saying, oh, there's these, these bad individuals. The story of individuals is really, really important. I think it's as important as, like you were saying, tribalism of like... So policies like nationalising trains or nationalising mm-hmm. utilities are very, very popular, even with conservative voters. But the party that promised that in 2017 and 2019 didn't necessarily get advantages from it because they didn't attack those policies. They attacked the individual. So they'll attack, they'll focus on, I mean, in 2019, we had like the broadband thing where they just like obsessively go nuts about a particular policy. But one tool of controlling the narrative is focusing on individuals and charisma and like that was used against corporate. It was used, I mean, Miliband with the bacon sandwich thing. But the bacon sandwich shows up that like, it's not even a competition between individuals. Like Boris Johnson, as an individual, shouldn't be able to win a competition where we're judging an individual's personal virtues and merits because he has a long history. No, of they're being not. Like- they're not judging personal virtues and merits. It's not a most virtuous thing. It's just a reflection of yourself. So if if there's a lot of people who quite like uh, being a lazy prick who says racist shit and gets away with it, and they look at Boris Johnson and go, "Yeah, legend." They don't care that he's morally bad they see a reflection of themselves or values they like and they go, yeah, that's fucking good, that. But if that if that was all it came down to, they would have loved a potential prime minister who ate a bacon sandwich like an idiot. N- ah, no, because the, he... I'd be w- like, I, I eat a bacon sandwich like an idiot as well. Well, because it's all the other stuff that's bundled into that. Um, it's all the other stuff that's bundled into that. Like, it's not completely divorced from the politics, but it's not... Certainly when they're looking at individuals, they're not looking at their moral standing or their goodness. They're looking at a reflection of themselves or their self-perception that reassures them. What people's beliefs are and what they would like the country to be, mm. which you'd think would have some passing effect on their voting record, <laughs> it shows that like it's not that everyone is like actually ideologically opposed to any kind of even just mild social welfare. Mm. They like it's just these media figures. But if you look at changes that have happened in terms of has the pandemic made people drift leftward well the answer to that ends up being really complicated because it's yes and no Mm. they love the conservative party more but they are also more ideologically aligned with left policies popularity for rent controls is now three quarters of the population Mm. just under that is popular support for job guarantee and majority of the population supports universal basic income with only about eight percent actively disagreeing and even amongst paid members of the Conservative Party, more people support UBI than not. Yeah, yeah. The one thing I'd say there is it's probably people supporting these individual policies on a policy-by-policy policy thing in amongst an ideology that is still horrifically right-wing and imperialist and capitalist because they are capable of believing Boris Johnson is gonna is doing well and is going to fund the NHS or build hospitals or whatever. They're capable of holding that thought because they don't have left-wing ideology. <laughs> No, but I don't think they have ideology, right? Their love for the Conservative Party. Yeah, they do. Okay, but I think we're talking about like cultural environmental ideology versus like active ideology. A set of principles, yeah. 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 For me, active ideology is like an online libertarian who is like, I've read the books. Here's the logic bro analysis of, you know, everything just has to be set free (laughs) and the market will like set its own control. So any interference is going to fuck around with that. I should be able to buy a 17-year-old girlfriend with Bitcoin. (laughs) I need to be able to buy a Thai bride who is already smoking a blunt before she arrives. Here's here's how I can use Milton Friedman to justify this. But you compare that to like your aunt mm. who lives in Salisbury. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they have an active ideology. They have like almost an aesthetic 
ideology. They think Britain looks nice. They think the commemorative plates look nice. The palace yeah. looks nice. Onion Bargy doesn't look nice. <laughs> it's not necessarily like... It's not the same kind right. of ideology. It's a value system that's based on what seems like nice and proper to them, mm. based on, you know, the good life or mm. rising damp. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think that's in a much easier place to be overturned because yeah. you will always have a hardcore of ideologues who will fight tooth and nail. But I think it just shows that there's a as a passive group of people, they aren't fighting for it with this active level of ideology of like, I intellectually think this is the way the country needs to be. Mm. And that is shown through the dissonance between, you know, Clap for carers, mm. but yeah, I voted Tory. Mm. Like, if you can hold those two things, it shows that you're, you can't be like this intellectually engaged ideologue because you would feel friction between those two things. Yeah, the only reason you can't feel friction by those is the ideology of capitalism has been totally internalised to the point that you don't even think about it. I mean, the stuff, the, the stuff that's really sent me under this week was uh, that BBC panorama with nurses on it and like medical professionals and then their opposition to what's been going on has been completely delegitimized because they've and they've been labeled as labor activists and yeah. most of them aren't activists they've done things like tweeted praise of jeremy corbyn once but it's like that's you, not you, you can't have left-wing opinions if you also have left-wing opinions <laughs> if, if you if you believe anything left-wing it has to be completely in isolation amongst a backdrop of rampant conservatism and right-wing thought. Otherwise, you're an activist and therefore everything you think, sorry. Yeah. You can have people on from the Taxpayers Alliance who are like <laughs> a funded, like shadowy yeah. uh, pressure group yeah. who we don't know where their funding comes from. They can come on the TV and they're not biased. I'm just the guy on the street. Yeah. A nurse who has like lived in conditions where they could die. Yeah due to the incompetence of a manager like a bloated managerial sector and a government that doesn't value human yeah. life you are now a trot and you cannot be trusted <laughs> i don't know where this comes from but the idea that like you can't predict what the communist state or the socialist state of the future is going to look mm. like based on the past no. because a future socialist or communist state just won't resemble anything we've seen before. Mm. You cannot make assumptions about what the state should be like and you cannot make blueprints to what it should yeah. be like. But you also need to remember that the fascist state of the future is not going to resemble Nazi Germany. Yeah. It's not going to be jackboots walking down the street kicking people's doors in. It's going to be this insidious, quiet, bureaucratic fascism mm. where everything that happens isn't the army busting stuff open. It's the slow disappearance of individuals. It's demography being villainized in the press and in fact you can probably get the public to do some of your dirty work for them yeah don't start looking for the signs of the past because when fascism starts creeping up it's going to have a, a suit and tie yeah. oh big time not even fascism just new worse capitalism like you can't predict what capitalism is going to do like yeah. if you said to someone in 1965 if you showed someone in 1965 what thatcher had done by 1985 they'd have been like oh fuck but now that seems like you know, there's the things that exist, like the dole, for example, under Thatcher would be much better than universal yeah. credit now, um, much easier to access at least. And that, that that's fucked. That shows how far the Overton window's cranked, right? Obviously, there's been success on some other issues, many other issues, but like on that particular zone, there's so much stuff that's just got more and more fucked. That liberal idea, the with this Whig history, the idea that history is progress and it gets better and better, it's like, no, it's like constantly in flux. It's con The only thing you can guarantee is change. The most pessimistic view that I have mm. is that the only reason that leftism exists is something we can even talk about yeah. that's spread around the world, in Europe at least, to do with like the turmoil that was caused by two successive world wars. Mm. 
too many people were killed. There was a massive upheaval <laughs> yeah. in. There was a massive upheaval. There was a massive labour shortage. Mm. Uh, governments were really worried about there being a popular like communist uprising. They had to make massive concessions. It caused there to be like an entrenched left that existed and had some level of legitimacy. Yeah. And the timeline of like European history has just been. And now we'll slowly wind that down. I don't remember the World War Two anymore. In fact, what World War Two symbolises is now good, and we should actually use it for only right wing <laughs> values. Never mind that they voted out Churchill directly after it for like <laughs> they didn't want him in power. He was not a hero to the people that he led. Yeah. yeah. The only thing that I can think of, if you take like even just a short view of modern British history, that will bring us any kind of popular leftist movement again is World War Three. Unfortunately, no one on earth will survive it. <laughs> oh my god. I think World War Three will be fought in VR. It'll probably be fine. But it, it'll be fought in <laughs> VR, but it'll go on forever. Yeah. World War Three will either annihilate the entire earth until it's just the size of a golf ball or it will be a completely lossless esports fight done entirely through Oculus Rift. <laughs> you know they say like oh the revolution won't be televised World War 3 will be streamed World War 3 will have OBS overlays showing the death count <laughs> 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 Like you say, so the, there was that big wave of like World War II. The equivalent is, is like most, the vast majority of young people are probably to the left of the generation that came before them because of their material experience as private renters and as mm-hmm. people growing up in a fucked economy. So like, you know, particularly millennials who had the Iraq war, then global recession, then austerity that made it w- even worse in the UK. Just like I made that comparison between 65 and 85 before. If you went back to 2005 and said, oh, this Corbyn guy and this Bernie guy, they're going to be voices for a mass movement of the left and a resurgence of the left mm. that is going to get close to success. Like, that's a massive leap forward. The, the core Tories, as much as they're polling so, so high and it's real grim, the core, like, ideologically committed, like, I love Toryism, that has to be dying out. And younger people, as climate change gets worse, etc., as climate change gets worse and exacerbates the really bad material conditions of young people anyway, I say young people, I, what I mean is people under 50, <laughs> right? Yeah, millennials. Yeah. That it's it's weird because I'm kind of saying that the left is stronger now than it was 15 years ago. But then at the same time, I'm saying, oh, it's been completely delegitimized and we're drifting towards managed democracy. And I, I'm, maybe I believe both those things. <laughs> I think I believe both those yeah. things. If we want to like synthesize what both of us are yeah. saying, right? There was a massive legitimate left political entrenchment yeah. after World yeah. War II. And that sort of died off from its origins yeah. slowly. Mm-hmm. And, again, and especially as like things were ostensibly prosperous in the 90s, was sort of killed it again. That led to more material inequality. And then you had a new burgeoning grassroots movement, which isn't people that are left-wing as part of this long view. They're not historically connected in in, for the most part. They're people going, things are fucked. What the fuck's going on? Because my my granddad keeps saying things are fine. (laughs) Do national service. So I need an alternative explanation. And then they find out about the left and connect to this new movement. But it's like with Bernie and Corbyn is that the closer they got to being near the finish line Mm. to success, the more the current institutional powers and the systemic control just changes Mm. the goalposts. It just goes... Actually, we're just going to break one of these rules. Actually, we're just going to break some parliamentary spending rules. Actually, we're just going to organise a coup in the party. <laughs> Actually, we're just going to spread yeah. lies. Like e- even within the BBC, junior journalists at the BBC are saying, "Yeah, of course, there's an anti-Corbyn bias." Like <laughs> the BBC is still saying, "Yeah, there's a conspiracy theory on the left." So, well, they all ignored it. All, all that they all ignored that that Labour report, which is 
and that's the that's the tip of the iceberg that is one segment of the labor bureaucracy that were wrecking yeah. like there's people you know that's just the people who happen to email their own whatsapp messages to themselves to use as a leverage on yeah, other people that is a tiny tiny gap of light in an absolute box of yeah. horrors yeah and it's it's but the this is the thing is that um liberals, centrists, anti-socialists, whatever you want to call them. I know I'm creating a big blob of people there, but they've big time fucked up because there's a lot of these people. They're not like, I don't think Tom Watson wants fucking fascism. Do you know what I mean? But like, I, he, he doesn't want socialism, but he do, I, I really don't think he wants like, you know, boot stamping on your neck forever. Johnson 2040 government, right? I think they fucked up, but they fucked up. They seem to instinctually prefer they it. They definitely do. They they always combat the left. They do what Keith Starmer does and goes, "Listen, I doff my cap to you. I'm I am your enemy, but I yeah. respect you." Yeah, they they always they always fucking do that. The right has to be respected and the left has to be silenced, and that's happened for, for fucking ages. And it's not just liberals; it? social democrats have done that as well, like Rosa Luxemburg, RIP. They they fucked up because Starmer is like Miliband 2.0. But he is now in a more fucked up, hard mode situation than Ed Miliband was because the left has been delegitimized to a level in the last five years, like way more. Like, I don't think in 2015 that like you would get so many people saying, oh, my God, I can't believe this nurse has voted Labour and therefore she has no right to criticize the government's yeah, Labour Party is like a half a million strong. It's like the opposition party of the it's UK. It's the biggest the political party in Europe. And if you're a member of that, you're like some sort of hardline fringe activist who can't have an opinion. It's just been completely delegitimised. But they've fucked themselves. Frankly, a lot of what Corbyn and Bernie were promising wasn't like socialism. There's a lot of socialists in the Labour Party. What it was was liberalism and social democracy and bits and picks and chooses from both of those things, right? Hmm. That's what it was. Like... We weren't talking about seizing the means of production. Like Corbyn was the compromise. Bernie was the compromise uh, to people who would desire more radical things. But like, because you've delegitimized that, what the fuck can you ask for? But you know how Trump can run rings around yeah, Biden? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put into one side the massive issues around Joe Biden, which I don't want to go into without necessary content mm. warnings. Trump can easily run to Biden's left because the Dems themselves had to demonize the left in order to get rid of Bernie. Uh, yeah, exactly. Bernie. I wouldn't be surprised if in response to the pandemic, the Conservatives could flank some some popular left policies just because Starmer is not now in a position to be able to Yeah, see, people forward. are saying, oh, they're going to do austerity again. And like George Osborne's pushing for austerity again. But they don't, like, austerity actually didn't serve capital as well as it could have done. You know, like we were talking about the post-war consensus and that being like to the left of what came before it before. But ultimately that was a kind of a Keynesian capitalism and the welfare state and all the nationalists. Yeah, like, we need to get the economy, yeah, going. The economy yeah. going. So there's no fucking reason that the Tories as the party of capital, as one of the two Pfizer capital um like just does that again and they can just outflank starmer and like what's starmer gonna do just he's not gonna beat the toys on fucking quote patriotism unquote and like that context is partly generated by the vicious campaign to totally delegitimize not only corbyn but the membership and the movement that he represented or even journalists like, look at the amount of shit that fucking owen jones gets every yeah. day have you ever gone into his replies like, his replies have this amazing thing where, like, where no one can agree with him without going, I fucking hate you, lad. But yeah. <laughs> Like, that's, like, the, the best agreement he gets. I think you're fucking scum, but actually you're fully spot on here, mate. And he was actually violently attacked by Fash. Yeah. Like, 
And it was fully, you know, there had to be a conspiracy theory. It didn't yeah. happen. You know, I feel like people just disingenuously conspiracy theory <laughs> yeah. anything so that by the time that, that they're completely mm-hmm. proven wrong and the account that they were given that there was a violent assault on a journalist is proved to be correct. It's too late now. I don't care. I'm thinking about something else. I'm watching World War Three on VR in 4K. Roll on World War Three. Drinking a cold one. <laughs> Cans out for World War Three. Yeah. Subscribe to that channel. Early. <laughs> when World War Three drops, I want a push notification. <laughs> Managed democracy, or a guided democracy, is an idea that was created and expanded on by two 1920s writers, Walter Lippmann and Edward Bernays. Lippmann was a pretty important political commentator and journalist. He coined the term Cold War and the word stereotype, and he realised that the ability to manipulate public opinion would completely undermine the intended purpose of democracy. In his 1922 book, Public Opinion, he adequately sketches out the problems, but he doesn't really come up with any decent solutions beyond, like, special councils of experts who sit above the public and apart from politics who make decisions. And that's not, um, well, it's not democracy. Edward Bernays, however, wasn't criticising anything. He was laying out the foundations of public relations. And his first act of public relations was to call his field public relations, when previously we just would have called it propaganda, which has a lot of bad vibes. Bernays was creating a new discipline and selling the application of it to governments and corporations. His 1923 book, Crystallising Public Opinion, even regularly misquotes and distorts Lippmann's book in order to do so. A managed democracy is one in which free elections are held that make no difference to the ruling class's motives or goals. Free and open elections, but with all the meat and trimmings of an autocracy. The new product from liberal democracy. Gulags, but now with a mandate. A lot of Benet's theories were grounded in revolutions in human psychology, a lot of which he cribbed from Freud, who was his double uncle. Have you heard of a double uncle before? Anyone? The wiki entry says it's when You've got a brother of one parent who is the brother-in-law of the other, but if your parents are married, then isn't your uncle always the brother-in-law to your other parent via that marriage, your parents married? I think actually a double uncle is when, let's say, they're your father's brother, but they're also your the husband to your mother's sister. I think that's a double uncle, because then you've got uncles by two separate routes. Double uncle. Anyway, what's the psychological principle that influences large groups of people, according to Bernays? Just treat them like cows, cow people. Hose them down, let them moo, lure them into a circular saw. Admittedly, humans are kind of stupid when they're in groups. Our individual faculties kind of get melted into the collective broth. But we can do something that cows can't, because if we spend long enough in the broth, we'll internalise a lot of those thoughts and even start policing ourselves. Managed media and a vast bureaucracy is so much more streamlined than a cruel and punishing dictatorship, because eventually people will start preempting your rhetorical lines in their own heads. Take this example from the Boris Johnson supporters group. I think all these key workers' deaths due to the virus, the families should not have to pay for the funerals. Look, although these comments are coming from a good place, people are going to have life insurance. The government can't pay for everything. People need to start being realistic. We don't have a magic money tree. I see where you're coming from, but who's to know where they caught the virus? Even though they're all risking their lives every day, there is no certainty they caught it at work. A funeral won't cost that much during a pandemic. Nobody's having fancy funerals and processions if Covid is on the death certificate. Actually, my brother's made a comment to me at the weekend saying the funeral directors are worried about going bust because there aren't enough people having fancy funerals. 
We are beyond the bonker veil. Won't somebody please think of the funeral directors because too many people having paupers burials. All of these people, far from being directly manipulated by a vast media hegemony, they've internalized the rules and tricks of spin and rhetoric and can do it to themselves and each other on the fly. And stories that are too damning to be dismissed in this way are simply ignored. In 2016, NHS England carried out a simulation exercise called Exercise Cygnus to estimate how the UK might cope if it was hit by, let's say, a large-scale flu pandemic. That sounds useful. So what were the results? We would not cope with that. The exercise proved that the country's health system would collapse if anything on that scale were to happen, in particular due to a shortage of ventilators. Pretty good information to know, actually. Could be rather useful. We only know what we do about the contents of Exercise Signet because of one or two sentences delivered by the Chief Medical Officer in December 2016. Because four years later, this document remains classified. Freedom of information requests have been refused and an anonymous government source said the findings are too scary to be released. A crowdfunding operation to take the government to court to force them to release the document is nearing its target goal. But, I mean, that's legalism for you. We'll learn what we know now they knew what would happen and they did nothing about it. But instead of acting on that now, we'll be waiting four years and have given a bunch of solicitors 50 grand. Sorry, just, just to come back first secretary on exercise sickness very quickly. Could I just ask, have you personally read that, that document and has it been made available to all your key scientific advisors? Um, I would have to go and check. Um, I've read a huge volume uh, over recent weeks, um, but uh, it's not something that immediately springs to mind. When did you read it? Uh, uh, I read it last week. Was it not given to you perhaps earlier on in your role? Might it uh, be appropriate to receive it perhaps in, in January? Good morning to you both. Hello. Um, to the Health Secretary. Exercise sickness obviously um, took place in 2016. Firstly, if, if you're following the science now, why wasn't the science followed then? And secondly, will you commit to publishing the findings of exercise in due course, please? Uh, yes, I, I'm not sure why this is um, uh, why the media why this well, is. Did it not um, show that there were holes and that we needed more kit and it wasn't acted upon? And look, it was before I was health secretary. Yes, but my, but I asked my officials to go back when this first came up in the in the press a few weeks ago and check that everything that was recommended was done. And that's the assurance that I got. Um, everything that was appropriate to do was done. That's what I was told. Uh, it was it was before my time. What I can tell so you, everything Connor, sickness pointed out, they acted upon. Is what you were told. If, uh, that was appropriate to do. That I. But I am. Um, I think that you know the the preparations that we had in this country were amongst the most extensive in the world. Um, but of course, you can't prepare for a, a virus that is itself. Things that are just too damning must be memory hold. The Boris Johnson supporters group contains barely any mention of exercise sickness. A couple of people saying it's not valid because it wasn't modelling for COVID in particular. And one person asking for thoughts on it, which no one replied to. And when things can't be memory hold, you know, you could always just make stuff up. Maybe China did this intentionally, cooked up a disease to kill the West, even if it meant killing thousands of their own population in the process. Naturally, this is rooted in xenophobia and a desire to find some extenuating circumstances to explain why Great Britain, the post-imperial shivering slab of crumbling brickwork, couldn't hold off a measly germ. But do you know what country 
might infect its own citizens as a preparation for warfare? Mm-hmm. Great Britain. In 2015, historian Ulf Schmidt released the book Secret Science, revealing the extent to which the British government used unsuspecting members of the public as guinea pigs to test agents intended for biological and chemical warfare. In May 1952, during biological warfare trials dubbed Operation Cauldron, the British government sanctioned the release of clouds of the bubonic plague off the coast of the Isle of Lewis in the Outer Hebrides, banking heavily that on that day the wind would blow out to sea. Otherwise, a cloud of the Black Death would have descended on a remote Scottish island. The wind was on their side, but that didn't stop a fishing trawler sailing right through the cloud. Sounds like a bit of a mess. How do you think they responded? Luckily, I can quote the Admiralty directly. Grave political requirements are more important than what may seem best from a strictly medical point of view for individuals. The fact that this exposure may have occurred is not at present known to the crew and is on no account to be revealed to them in any casual contact. Should you be called to a case in which you suspect you ought to diagnose as plague, it should be referred to as pneumonia. Did they alter their experiments based on this failure? Absolutely. The project was just relocated to affect lives the British government value even less than the Scottish. Future tests on encephalitis viruses were carried out in the Bahamas, and nerve gas tests were carried out in Nigeria. The extent to which these tests may have affected local wildlife, soils, villages and schools remain unknown to this day. Between 1953 to 1964, scientists at Portendown Science Facility released 300 pounds of zinc cadmium sulphide, an agent of unknown toxic potential across the North Sea. In 1960, it had been determined that 38 million people, over half the population of Britain, had already been exposed to it via either inhalation or consumption through the food chain. Despite this, in 1963, they did a further dispersion trial across the entirety of Norwich. Researchers wearing protective equipment were dispatched to the city to take samples anonymously. If anyone asked, who are you? Or, what is this stuff coming out of the sky? They were told to contact the war office, who would in turn tell them it was just a meteorological study. Vast quantities of chemical agents were dispersed across the English Channel. Do you know what effects that had on coastal towns in France and England? No, no one does. I don't think anyone checked. Did they stop there? No. In May 1964, a bacteria called Bacillus globigii was released in secret through the London Underground system to model how an anthrax-like bacterium would spread through a modern European metro system. Bacillus globigii causes food poisoning, eye infections, and septicemia. And the test revealed that it would spread across the entirety of the underground, and they found spores at some of the most northern and southern points in the London Underground system. People in London were never informed they were part of that experiment. And they were so bad at keeping it secret. Just like the fishermen in the Isle of Lewis, who could obviously see this massive germ research vessel off the coast of their tiny island that just wasn't supposed to be there. That attitude was taken across the whole of the UK. Military scientists would just ride big black cars across a village and set up a testing site at the end of it. And obviously the villagers and locals would just notice that there's a massive testing site there and they would talk. In America, scientists actually went in deep cover. They would pose as like mice and men style itinerant workers, get work on farms and then secretly spread contaminants or sow diseased crops. But in the UK, there was such broad opposition to the scientists having to cross any class boundaries that they just refused to consider it. Part of it was an acknowledgement that it's kind of hard to sell a mild-mannered Oxbridge-educated researcher and stick them in rural England to be like, Oh, excuse me, terribly sorry, I'm just an itinerant farmhand. Is there any chance that I could enter your 
your employ and fuck up your crops? As a result, there was a systemic bungling on secrecy. Journalists and opposition MPs knew what was up by the end of the 50s. It was raised several times in Parliament that there was an unusual amount of miscarriages, birth defects and chronic health problems, especially localised near to testing sites. Then, as a backdrop to this, in 1957, Conservative Prime Minister Harold Macmillan delivered his famous Our People Have Never Had It So Good speech while in the same year the UK was affected by an unrelated global flu pandemic dubbed the Asian flu. Roughly 9 million people in Britain caught it and 30,000 people died by 1958. In 1959, Macmillan delivered an increased majority for the Conservative Party. So we've got that to look forward to. The idea behind accelerationism is that eventually if everything just goes to shit it will finally radicalise the centre and there will be some kind of broad popular uprising against an oppressive state. The main criticism of that idea is that it's flagrantly immoral to participate in who gets to live and who gets to die calculus for your own political goals, especially when your political goal is to oppose that exact kind of ruthless calculus. But that debate is rendered moot, because even if it does work anywhere, that place will never be the UK. England, specifically, is accelerationism immune. Our class system is a caste system that has been crystallised by the metamorphic pressure of history and strung through the DNA of its population like bunting. The heroic emblem of the British national psyche is Oliver Twist, the plucky urchin who politely requested more gruel. Everything you might expect to be the final straw in our current predicament has already happened and worse and it only brought another conservative majority. We have an interconnected system of political and cultural institutions whose only job is to ensure a sufficient amount of people smash the button labelled suffer every four years and it is more powerful than ever. Us politely laying out the merits of water nationalisation in a comment section just might not be enough to combat it. This is an incredibly tough and testing time for our movement and I don't want to leave anyone in despondency at the moment. Look after yourselves, stay well, care for those around you, participate in mutual aid. In a few months things will be unrecognisable yet again and when that time comes I want all of us still to be here because we're not finished yet. Mandatory Redistribution Party was created and produced by Sean Morley and Jack Evans. Our title theme was created by Ella Jean, with additional music by Sean Morley and an excerpt from John Blow's Amphion Angelicus. Thank you for listening, and please remain indoors. <laughs>